There's something inside of me. And last night it made me go to my sister. And tonight with Lisa on the cabana, it started to happen again. I think you are seriously losing it, bro. I'm scared, Grady. Something is trying to get inside my body. Yeah, and she's female and she's waiting for you in the cabana. And you want to sleep with me. wherever you're listening welcome to the cinema beef podcast my name is x joining me as always is the host and originator of this here program mr gary hill hello gary hello x how are you sir i'm reeling (laughs) (laughs) from the films that we watched for this for this show i can't even talk i'm so screwed up um joining gary and myself on this episode you know him. You love him. He is the nasty one. Wild man. Willis Wheeler is in the house. Hello, Willis. All I got to say is it's always fun at the YMCA. Let's tell to the YMCA. <laughs> <laughs> this is going to happen a lot during this episode. Just telling you now, it doesn't matter which film we're discussing. There will be multiple village people references. Um, I don't even really know how we came upon this topic. I can't remember if it was Gary's idea or my idea, but we're, we're, we're talking about three movies today. And I guess the best way to link them together is that they deal with homosexuality in Hollywood before AIDS hit. Um, which is interesting because, you know, after AIDS hit, we kept getting stuff like, you know, Philadelphia and everybody, it was a rent. We had everybody was dying of AIDS or everybody had HIV, something like that. Not so in these movies. These movies are actually the gayest gay films out there. Can't Stop the Music is actually jolly. But anyway, yeah, we're watching Can't Stop the Music, the Village People movie from 1982. I should have it pulled up. Yeah, I'll tell you right now. Sorry about <clears throat> we will fun. edit, I'm sure. You know, I will edit. <laughs> no, it's like these all came out in the same year. 1980 for Can't Stop the Music. Uh, let's see. Oh, no. Nightmare on Elm Street 2 was in 1985. Excuse me. And Cruising was in 1980. So Cruising and Can't Stop the Music came out in the same year. That's a weird double feature. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, let's just kind of go around and see what we've been... Uh, 
see what we've been into since you last heard us yammering on the internet. Gary, what you been watching, brother? Uh, I've been watching some, some decent stuff. I've been, uh, what I've been watching was, uh, I finally caught some of Hannibal. I found it on, uh, lurking on Amazon Prime, season one anyway, of the, the TV show. Uh, it's, it's got a real, I never watched any of it. I never heard, I've heard of it. I just, people tell me to watch it. It's got a real Holmes and, in, in, uh, Real Holmes and um, Watson vibe going for me for for that show for some strange reason. Like they're out there like deducing and solving cases together in the, in, a, in the same kind of way. But it's really gory and wonderful looking. And the guy that plays Hannibal is on point and, and uh, Will Graham for that matter. Uh, so I'm, I'm enjoying myself so far. So I'm glad I'm like, why I've been so long? Because I've been behind on shows I actually do watch, folks. And I apologize for not watching Hannibal, I guess, you know. Well, we got to know how does it compare to Manhunter? I, you know what? I, that's that's a that's a shame list. I'd never seen Manhunter. Just throw that on the shame list because I never actually got caught it before. We will take care of that at some point in the near future, <laughs> sir. That has to happen. Okay. Uh, besides that, um, this isn't my beef of the week, but it sh- probably should be. I caught Ouija in, in in the past couple of weeks, and that is a film that nobody should watch. Be, because it's about basically white folks get into to the Ouija game when, when they're kids, and they they map out the rules just like in Gremlins right from the beginning. You know, don't play by yourself. Blah blah, whatever the fuck the rules are for the fucking Ouija board. What what white girl plays with it by herself gets hung in in the vestibule of her home, and then the shenanigans happen from there. There's an ah, uh, of course you have the Mexican maid who knows all the hoodoo voodoo of the of the Ouija and all the. Of course she's Mexican because you know you need the Mexican maid in this movie, who knows everything about this Ouija board, and it's just a lot of white folks with problems that I don't give a shit about, and uh, <laughs> that's Ouija for you people, so don't watch it. Oh, that's that sounds awesome. It sounds very appealing, <laughs> doesn't it? Yes. But uh, yeah, besides that, there's there's, there's other stuff I can talk about. But uh, X, what have you watched, man? Um, the best thing I've seen in the last couple of weeks has been Disco Path. I want to see this movie, yes. It is on Hulu currently, and um, it's really good. It's just about this guy who, every time he hears music, uh, something snaps and he kills people. And there's one sequence that is so amazing. He has two girls in a room. He's in the act of murdering them and he takes their old 45s and snaps them and breaks them. So they're kind of jagged and just shoves them into their bodies. Did Duncan do this? An interview with the guy on his show? This, this, that movie? Um, I think so. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's friggin' great. So I highly recommend disco path. Um, I also rewatched, uh, Stuart Gordon's pit in the pendulum. With Lance it's Henderson. been a while, but I'm a full moon junkie, so you know. It is so good. I had forgotten how wonderful that movie is. It's funny to see uh, fucking Happy Gilmore's grandmother as a witch <laughs> getting burned at the stake. Oh, God. <laughs> she's she's always been old. She has never been a young. She's like woman. William Hickey. She is. <laughs> You're exactly William, right. Always William old. Hickey has never been young. Uh, oh, I forgot. I, I uh, forgot something. I watched. I watched Transfers Five because they dropped it on Full Moon Streaming, and I oh, caught yeah? Transfers Four a long time ago because Transfers Five. They back then those days were doing that four and five thing together. Thinking about this, this right. is Jack Death in Medieval Times Part Two, and it's 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 not a it's not a horrendous movie, but it's not good either. Because I I just listened to the Transfers Projection Booth podcast, which you guys should all listen to. And the wonderful Tim Thomerson bonus interview that, that accompanies it. 
Oh, it's nice. amazing. You want to hear good, great stories about old Hollywood from this old bum surfer who became an actor and, and a comedian? You can listen to Tim Thomas talk for 45 minutes with uh, with those guys. It's, it's pretty wonderful. That's cool. Uh, and so to cleanse that palette of Transfers 5, I watched First Transfers, which is still a pretty good movie because, you know, you need a little jack death of your life. I agree completely. And uh, oof, I'm sorry, though. Continue. <laughs> I forgot about that. No. that that's something <laughs> good and bad, see? No, that's pretty much it. It's been that and wrestling for me. How about you, Wills? What you been into, man? Well, the best thing I've seen all week was NXT TakeOver from last oh, night. Yes! Man, if only wrestling could be that good all the time. Yeah. It was it was literally one of the best things I have seen on the WWE network ever. Amazing. It seems like they top themselves every time they have a, a NXT event. Yeah, and I can't figure out it's not that I can't figure out why. It's just I don't know why you would want to, you know, hurry up and move from NXT up to Raw. Because once you move up to Raw, they fuck you over. I know, right? You know, it's like they moved the Ascension up in the first two weeks. They were wrestling midgets. <laughs> right. Because they're fucking awful. <laughs> but they lost me at, oh, we're better than Demolition. No, you're not. We're better than Legion of Doom. No, you're not. I know I know. it's just a character they play, but they lost me. No, just... You guys are terrible from here on in. Yeah, better than the Road Warriors. Even my wife was like, you're not better than the Road Warriors. <laughs> she's, she's seen like maybe one Road Warriors match in her life. And she was like, no, call it bullshit. <laughs> same here, same here. Ridiculous, ridiculous, ridiculous. But luckily they're going to start touring soon. So that might work out better for NXT too. I think that will be a lot of fun to go see an NXT show. Yeah. Get a little exposure for them. That'd be nice. Eh? Well, they get it now on the network, but, you know, they need more, I guess. But do the road shows. A little competition for the main roster, doing some dark shows. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that'd be, yeah, that'd be good. <clears throat> wow, so we've been all over the place the last couple of weeks. Yeah, definitely, yes. All, all over the map here. <laughs> From French-Canadian horror to Hannibal to NXT wrestling. Yes. But uh, yeah, with that, um, I guess it could be mine, yours, but it could be our beef of the week uh, right here. Uh, my beef of the week is... Uh, Hollywood thinking Americans are too too dumb to read subtitles, and uh, y- yeah, <laughs> the, the the martyrs thing, which is not a film I enjoy because it's just it's just not my thing. But it has a very large fan base out there that that French film, which you know just yesterday you heard is being made, and now today you hear that it's been made, which doesn't warm the cockles of my heart like you know a Phantasm Five, where like wow, you see a poster and wow, what the fuck has been made already. I'm not terribly yeah. excited about this. Just like I, I, I know Housebound is in English, but you know Housebound was is an indie picture that you know they decided that Americans are too smart to I guess watch an Australian film, so they're going to remake that too. So this I think it's one of those too soon kind of things, especially for that one. Which you know I know I know people love the Babadook. I'm not the biggest fan. Of it. I know X is is a terrible fan of that. Terrible you know not non fan of that film. Hate it. Hate it. And, uh, but I, I got to respect what the creators of that film did, and 
not, you know, allow folks to remake that film. I guess put their American spin on it. Uh, what's your thoughts on this? I'll start with our, our guest for the show, Willis. I hate fucking Martyrs, so I don't I care if you they... you hate Martyrs, Willis. I don't care if they remake it or not. Maybe if the Americans make it, at least the movie have a goddamn good ending and it makes some damn sense and not be just a big old smut f- snuff film like the original one is. <laughs> X. I haven't, I haven't seen Martyrs, so I have no dog in this fight. Okay. I have seen Housebound, though, and I think remaking Housebound already is ridiculous. It came out, like, last year, right? Yeah, I, yeah, I literally saw it last October at a festival. So stupid. The film... I don't, I don't, you know, it's, it's not like we can't understand fucking New Zealand or Australian accents. Any Peter Jackson movie proves that. So I don't understand why the big... Oh, somebody thought of something that we didn't think of? Oh, this might be funny shit. We'll do it over. Fuck all of you. They're, they're just not smart to, to, to understand accents, like you said, I guess, yeah, these, these uh, American audiences. But I didn't think it was like you know, a huge success here yet. I know I know it, it gets much praise in our circles, but and I'm sure in the, most of these horror columns and you know magazines, but I think that folks were running to go running to go out and go see it like your, your normal folk for, for it to uh, you know get a remake. Well, my worry is they're going to make it into like Disturbia 2. <laughs> And I don't want that. I have no problem with Disturbia One, actually, but you know that's that's just me. This man's opinion, you know. Well, yeah, but I mean, leave you know, leave it alone. Yeah, the, we're we're, no, we're definitely. Done. You guys got any beefs of the week? As I was trying to clue you guys in this, you know. I got a beef. Go for it, Willis. <laughs> my beef is with that damn Fantastic Four movie trailer. That's my beef for the week. I'm still mad about that crap. <laughs> I still haven't uh, settled in to watch that yet, Willis. Man, how hard is it to make a good Fantastic Four movie? Why, why can how come the Corman film could make them at least look like the Fantastic Four and Doctor Doom? You know the movie wasn't good, but still, at least they look like the characters. Even though the people are hating on the last two Fantastic Fours, I can understand Silver Surfer was kind of trash. It's some trash, but at least they act and look like the Fantastic Four. Doctor Doom still was bad off, but I don't know. I just don't understand the logic and why can't they just make a decent Fantastic Four movie? Everybody else in the last couple of years had a, a decent reimagination or done right. Why can't they just do the Fantastic Four right? Now, why they got to make Johnny Storm white and Susan Storm... I mean, Johnny Storm Black and Susan Storm White, that's not in the comic book. It's just all screwed up. They got them 20-year-olds. That's not the Fantastic Four. The Fantastic Four is a family, not a bunch of teenagers. Just dumb. I hate John Trent. He he on my shit list. What else has he done, Willis? Chronicle. Yeah. See, I don't hate Chronicle, so I can't say that <laughs> I can't say the guy's bad. I like, Chron- I like Chronicle, but if he wanted to make a Chronicle 2, he, he should have just made a Chronicle 2 and not a Fantastic Four movie. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, you got a dog in this race, X, about this Fantastic Four film? I haven't seen the trailer. I did not like the first two movies at all. I still think the Corman film's the best. So, yeah, I'm pretty much with Willis on this. Why fuck with it? Why Why change the formula? I mean, it's an established comic book formula. It's dumb. Yeah, it, it, it is. Um, <clears throat> I haven't watched it. Like, like I said, I haven't watched it either. Uh, my, my favorite one is the Corman one as well. I thought the the, the big Hollywood attempt at him. These weren't very good. You know, that's 
That's my, my opinion. Yeah, but other folks may like him, but it's it's not a popular comic now. I mean, they already canceled that book. You know, it's 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 not it's gonna no longer be a comic book at all, which means sales are terrible on it. So why would you even capitalize on a new Fantastic Four film? You gonna do revive the series? They're gonna make more comic books? No, because I hope they bring in Herbie the Robot. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that that's that's going out. So I don't even know why they're even bothering with this attempt at a reboot. You know. At least with Marvel's acquisition of Spider-Man again, they can actually do something with that character. And make it decent. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but X, you got any beefs of the week, sir? My beef for the week is the news, which is, I don't know, I guess it's still in rumor status, that Neil Blomkamp is going to make another Alien film. Really? Yeah. What's... He is not the guy to do that. <laughs> I, I, like, I like his stuff so far, so I'm... I'm... I I don't I wholeheartedly okay. disagree with you with this. Right. T- t- tell tell us no. your case, though, sir. Well, I you know, I guess I'm the only guy in the world who did not like District Nine. I didn't like the switch from, you know, that found footage first person to the sweet fucking sappy ending. I thought it was a horrible mixture between Alien and Transformers. No offense, Willis. Um, and Elysium was a just a pile of shit so i don't understand why anybody would think okay this guy can draw pretty good his concept art's fine let's let him go ahead and direct the movie they didn't let ralph mccrory direct star wars (laughs) maybe they should (laughs) have well maybe so but yeah it's just i i think it's a horrible idea i think the franchise is done especially if they make prometheus 2 just leave it just can we just be done. Well, do you think if they make this movie, Prometheus 2 will be off the table all altogether? No, because Ridley Scott. Because <laughs> Ridley Scott. Because of the very existence of Ridley Scott. And I didn't like Prometheus either, so. See, that movie's very pretty to look at, but, you know, plot-wise, it's not very good, you know? No. There's a, there's a lot of stuff in that movie where you feel like they rushed making it and then just kind of slap-dashed it together. So it's just it's a it's a mess story wise. Oh yeah, it just don't anyway, make a lot of sense. <laughs> yeah, but you know I'm, I'm a huge fan of the franchise. I love all the Alien movies. Just I'm ready for it to go bye bye now. What do you what do you think of their plans to basically because Hicks is still alive in in Blancom's vision, I guess you would call it. Yeah. What do you think about them basically throwing out the other sequels besides Aliens to to basically put they they have to do that. To throw this his 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 vision into the world, you know. Alien Three is one of my favorite ones, so fuck that. That's stupid. <laughs> is Charles is Don't Charles be... is done? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Don't be bringing people back from the dead if you don't have to. They've done it twice now with Ripley. I'm not going to buy it with Hicks. Good grief. Well, this one was going to throw out three and four and be an actual continuation from part two. Well, three three yes. was a, a continuation of part two. They found the the the, the, the crapshoot in space, you know, and they they picked. But nobody. But the problem about it is nobody liked that. Everybody was pissed when that happened. That's why that movie didn't hardly make any money. Well, they, they, that, that's time to make a that Alien Resurrection, which I saw in the theater. Which you know, if you like swimming aliens, you know you might like that movie. You know, and you like Ripley playing basketball. Oh, she's shooting hoops, man. That was, that was a thing back in them yeah. days. Escape from, escape from L.A., shooting hoops. <laughs> <laughs> Ripley shooting hoops. Ron Perlman's got a gun inside of a thermos. 
and Brad Dorff sounding like Chucky as always. Yes, indeed. Yep. So Alien Resurrection was Space Jam 2. That's what you're telling Space me. Space Jam 2? I wouldn't say that. It was, <laughs> it was Firefly with aliens. That's all it was. Yeah, you're right. That's it. Joss Whedon. Fuck you. But, uh, yeah, that's that's another beef that I'm not going to get into. <laughs> that's a whole show. <laughs> he did give us Avengers, so you can't be mad about it. I can be mad at two-thirds of that movie. What, what was wrong with that movie? That movie was perfect. No, no it wasn't, dude. Yes, it was. It was best comic book movie ever made, period. Mm-hmm. And the proof is in the how many times people... Don't, 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 show, don't show me made. a dollar amount because The Winter Soldier was twice the movie that was. Yeah, Winter Soldier was good on a whole other aspect. That was a more mature comic book movie, but it just wasn't Avengers. All I got to say is one thing, Hulk smash. So that just negates everything. Just negates everything. <laughs> it don't get good, don't get good until they fucking assemble and do some shit. That's the only time really, really gets good to me, you know. Well, they have to develop the story. You can't be boom, bang, boom. These, these are the characters have... you know, though, Willis. I'm, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna get into this, okay? Well, maybe some people didn't watch all the rest of the movies, and that's the way you do it. You have to consider maybe some people didn't watch the rest of the Avengers movies, and that might be their first Marvel movie that they ever saw. So you got to do that kind of stuff. And, of course, that's the way comic books always build when the superhero team first build up. They get with each other. They start arguing about each with each other. They fight once. They get on the same page. And then when it's time for the shit to hit the band, fan, that's when all of them get together. Just basic comic books. You just described you've got mail. <laughs> <laughs> and that that cartoon show was better than that freaking movie was. I'm sorry, the the one that went along with it, the Avengers Assemble. You mean Avengers er, Mighty er, Earth's Mightiest Heroes? Yeah, Earth's Mightiest Cheerios. Earth's Mightiest Heroes. Yes, <laughs> Mightiest Cheerios. Mm. Yum. Iron Fiber. Man. We'll talk about milk later on, guys. Trust me. You know, it's going to be a whole conversation. But um. Yeah, well, I forget which order we're gonna do these in, so I'll I'll choose uh the, the first film we're gonna do. Let's go with the the literal man of your dreams and of my dreams too as well. I'm sure a guy my my buddy calls Bob the mouthy bitch, and uh we're gonna do Nightmare on Elm Street two, Freddy's Revenge first, and we get to that right after the trailer. Someone is coming back to Elm Street. He is not friendly. He is not patient. And he is not a welcome visitor. But he has something terribly special for the new kid on the block. It started to happen again. Dad! I'm in trouble. You've had some scary dreams, okay? Help! Daddy can't help you now. There's something inside him. Find him. You are not afraid of him. He doesn't even exist. Freddy Krueger is back on Elm Street. Get out of here, Lisa. Find him. Watch out for him. We'll be in your neighborhood soon. A nightmare on Elm Street, part two. You are all my children now. 
Freddy's Revenge. Uh, Never in Elf Street 2, Freddy's Revenge from 1985. Uh, plot synopsis, the cheap one is, is a teenage boy is haunted by his dreams and his dreams by Freddy Krueger, who is out to possess him and continue his murdering in the real world. Changing rules again, but not really. And he said, I was Craven film, so let's go with this. Ah, uh, what do you call it? Your core cast is, of course, Robert Inland as your only one and only Freddy Krueger. Uh, Mark Patton is Jesse Walsh. Kim Myers is Lisa Weber. Robert Russler is Ron Grady. Clue Gulliger as Ken Walsh. Uh, Marshall Bell, my man Marshall Bell as Coach Schneider. <laughs> Love that guy, Marshall Bell. That's pretty much all you need to know about this film. There's other people. One of the loving, one of them, one of them loving gals shows up at the beginning of this film, which I, somebody pointed out to me that three out of the four loving gals, if you know what I'm talking about, there was a little TV show called Just the Ten of Us, where three out of the four of the daughters on that show were in Freddy films. That's true. I didn't know, I didn't know where to find the the, the third one, but until I watched this film, like, oh, but there she is, you know, there's the pudgy, non-cute one right there, see? <laughs> But, Bill Kirkenbauer's finest yes, hour. Yes, indeed. I, I watched every episode probably at least once. But, uh, yeah, we'll get right into this now. Um, Willis, what are your thoughts on this uh, this lovely sequel? Well, I hated it when I was a kid, but when I got older, I understand the nuances of certain things. And the more I watch it, the more I start enjoying the movie. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, X, what's your uh, your general thoughts on this film? It's not my favorite of the sequels. Um, the more I watch it, the more I, I think, wow, this is like the parallel universe Freddy picture. So it's, I mean, it's fine. It's got some problems. It's, I don't know, it's funnier than anything yes. else, really. So, <clears throat> but yeah, I don't hate it. I don't love it. I don't hate it. Yeah, I feel this is the one where Freddy just fucks with your protagonist, who is this, uh, this chipper kid with a, a sort of girlfriend in Lisa, our, our, our hero, or whatever you want to call him, Jesse, who loves to clean his room while dancing, you know, and that, that wonderful scene. While dancing to Samantha Fox without watching the video. So guess what? He's gay. Well, from, from what I hear, you know, in most films, I think in this one, too, the, the music that you hear in the film is not the music they're playing at all. Because that, that's what I heard about that Crispin Glover scene in, in, in Friday 4, that the music they're playing in the scene is... Nothing like the music they were playing as he was dancing, so they didn't know what the fuck he was doing. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Your your core character in the film is is switched from Nancy, who's obviously these white folks doing to get out of the house because her family is out of this this Elm Street home where where Freddie lived, and new family has moved in in uh, Jesse's family, and he is uh, woken up with uh, night terrors, I guess, every night where his, only his room gets really really smoking hot. Whereas, you know, they, it, as the film goes on, the rest of the house is pretty warm as well, which leads to, you know, exploding birds based on that cheap seed, you know, and stuff like that. And toasters going aflame and Clue Gulliger yelling at his son to, to stay off drugs and stuff. And, you know, that's that's wonderful, you know. Uh, so anyway, Jesse's haunted by, you know, your, your, your main man, your dreams, uh, Mr. Freddy Krueger. You know, child murderer, in case you don't know the, the history of him. You all should, so I'm not going to sit here and explain it to you. You know, he's your, your protagonist from that first film. And uh, and he he basically slowly gets taken over. He gets pe- <laughs> penetrated by our man Fred. 
to, to become a, to, to let him come on to the real world, if you will, which is this film changes all kinds of the rules for the first film, which, you know, blows my mind that took him all the way to part six to realize that you could pull him out of the dream when Nancy did it in part one. But, uh, I digress. X, what are your, some of your finer points of this film? Oh my God. Are there any finer points to this <laughs> film? Um, if we're dealing with the whole, you know, homosexuality issue, and this movie has a very strong um, homoerotic subtext, the gym teacher at the school um, likes to punish the boys, likes to watch them run around. I've never seen people play baseball in shorts that short in my life. Oh, yeah. Um, I also think it's funny to remember that, especially in this movie, hey, the kids live in Springwood. Springwood. Okay. Um, <laughs> crickets, crickets, crickets. No. Exactly. I, Never I mind. understand, sir. You know? <laughs> it's okay. They can't, you know, they can't all be gems. Um, but, yeah, uh, there's stories floating around about the coach, how he's a leather daddy and likes to go downtown to the bars at night and pick up rough trade. And that's fine. What the hell ever. But what I don't understand is the time when Jesse wakes up all sweaty, walks all the way downtown from his house wearing a pajama top. And I shit, I, that may be it. Just a half open blue pajama top and just walks into this bar and no one says shit. No one cards him. No one. <laughs> no one asks if he's lost. Nothing. He just walks right in and orders. Well, a he's beer. greeted by a leather bomb, Bob Shea. You know who makes his cameo appearance in this film as well. <laughs> so maybe our friend Bob Shea, who you know put out such fair, who put out such fair as Pink Flamingos and the the, the reissue of Reefer Madness, loves new by young boys who come into bars and you know maybe he might get some some rough trade from one of these gentlemen in this bar. Much like in a film we're going to talk about later, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's very. I true. eyeball these young, uh, this young meat, you know. <laughs> so, in other words, and again, here comes the Professor X theory, and other people have expounded upon this too, is that in this movie, Freddie really represents Jesse's internal struggle to um, identify sexually. Is he straight? Is he queer? He's not sure. And Freddie represents that kind of battle that that goes on inside of him. <clears throat> you know, I want you to kill can be interpreted as I want you to suck cock. I mean, there's all kinds of ways you can make that one play out. I think it, but I think it works in this movie um, that Freddie is, you know, kind of like that nightmare, that horrible feeling. What the hell? do I do? I'm in the middle of puberty. My body's doing weird shit. I like, I like this chick with giant hair. I like the guy that I play softball with. I don't know what the fuck to do. Well, it's just all the delivery of the line, especially of course, in the most, probably the most famous line of this whole film is, you know, we have important work to do you and me, you know, you've got the body and I've got the brain. Of course, Freddie, you know, very hilariously rips the top of his head off to expose his brain you know, it's like, it's like almost like Freddy's like helping him become the 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 man he wants to be, which is you right. know Freddy in the real world in in the flesh. You know, but uh, which that that comes true in a great scene with with uh, where he he kills his softball playing friend, which is still one of, which is still one of the it's 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 shot so simple lately, much like American Werewolf in London, where it's still one of my favorite scenes to watch on screen in a horror film is when Freddy comes out of Jesse in, in the in the real world and you know. 
I know it's really cruelly done, and I know how it was made, and all this stuff, and the eyeball looks really crazy coming out of his mouth, and you know, <laughs> but it, it looks really like the, the 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 scene. You see the one scene where you like the skin is ripping, and you know the glove is being exposed out of the hand. That's a really cool effect to watch, even nowadays. It is. It's very much a hatching. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, Willis, what's your uh, your general thoughts on this, you know your 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 finer points of this film? Well, of course. The, the scene you just mentioned. But you know what I like about this movie? When a lot of people don't look at it with the fact that Freddy got killed in that house. So his spirit was stuck in that house. And because he's trying to answer through Jesse, that's his way of coming back to being what he was before through Jesse. So basically when he get killed, at the end of the movie, that's releasing his spirit back out so he can come back in part three more than anything else. So it was all just a ploy for him to get back the way he needed to be for part three, at least in my eyes. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it needed to be, I guess, done. But I think that, you know, the the, the, the fact that this has such little involvement in, with Wes Craven because he didn't want a sequel and Phil, Phil of course... Three came about, which that had went through many writers, but he wanted to be a part of that, I guess, to give his own spin on it. I guess something was not. I don't know. I don't know something missing for this film, but something took um took me out of this film when I initially started to watch it when I was younger, which it came on like multiple stations. It came on USA Up All Night. It came on regular TV. So I never actually saw a complete version of this film till I was much much older, you know, and uh. Once I started to learn, like, the subtext, not even the gay stuff, but, you know, the more, like, it's not just, you know, why is Freddy in this movie for 13 minutes and that's it? Because that's all he's in this movie for, you know, when he wasn't in, he wasn't in that first one a super long time either, but it was more, he was more showcased in that film. Like, he was talked about and everything else, whereas this one is, he was talked about, but he wasn't really around. Jesse found this glove in his house and he was using it to do Freddy's dastardly deeds, you know, killed the gym teacher, you know, <laughs> that, that was a, a pretty hilarious scene still. It's like the bad version of the skateboard kid. Watch the bouncing balls, children, you know, again, bouncing balls. Oh, oh no, I'm playing. I, I wouldn't go there, but, <laughs> but I just did. <laughs> I was, I was gonna, <laughs> oh boy. But yeah, the, this one, um, it's, it's not boring to me at all. I, 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 I like it. Way more than five. Let's put it that way. Five is on the low, low end of the sequel spectrum of the of this of this series. Some folks can agree and disagree, you know. But I thought Jack Shoulder did fine in the direction of this film. I'm sure he had a lot of studio, you know, crawling up his ass, like especially when this, that, or the other was happening, and all this other other production was happening, and Wes Craven was down their throats, and eventually Wes Craven was made whole by Bob Shea by giving him all the damn franchising rights once again. It's like fuck you, pay me, you know, all those deals. I think interesting, t- interesting noted, which you know, this is according to IMDb, of course, is that uh, four actors that could have played Jesse are uh, Brad Pitt, John Stamos, Christian Slater, or or Michael J. Fox, <laughs> who was really gonna play him, but he had more important things to do, like Back to the Future and Teen Wolf to do, you know. So I'm glad he made that career decision to not do this film and. But imagine what could have been, you know. Could have had Lance Stargrove in this motherfucker. You know that Wes Craven had nothing to do with the second one at all. 
he didn't even ha- he didn't even get no money for the second one at all. He lost all his rights. He sold all his rights to get the first one to get made. Yeah, which uh, I guess a young filmmaker would do, you know, and to 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 get his uh, name out there, and it really worked out for him because I'm not one of those guys that heralds Wes Craven as a filmmaker. I think he's got like a good four or five solid flicks. The other ones are just kind of so-so in my opinion. Again, throw some daggers at me, but you know, Serpent in the Rainbow still fucks with me after all these years. And that's that's a hard tax to pull off, you know. You know what Wes Craven is more than a director? He's an idea man more than anything else. Yeah. When you think about it. When it comes to... What, oh, I'm sorry. I, I used to think that until My Soul to Keep came out. <laughs> and that movie's just a wreck. Yes, it was. Well, let's face it, folks. With the with the exception of Adrian Barbeau's breasts in that film, Wynorski did Swamp Thing better. Just get over yourselves, okay? Fuck yes, <laughs> that is correct. <laughs> oh, I fall David has to that movie as well. But uh, back to uh, Nightmare Two, which has nothing to do with him. Uh, yeah, the, the thing about it is, like you said, the the, the buddy homosexuality that nobody knows until like people start pointing it out like years later, you know. Unless you were really, unless you were really, really looking for it, it is is it, these core characters like you. You got Kim, who apparently loves us. She she loves this guy. It's kind of hard to tell if she loves this guy or if she, you know, just the ride to school kind of deal. Like she's she's got Jesse in the friend zone, and he's just hey. I think she, I think she wants to help this guy more than she loves this guy. Because I've I've known many guys who just hang around all these chicks all day and not really get anywhere. I, I knew guys that would, you know, it's like the Bloodhound Gang song. I, I wish I was queer so I could get chicks. I knew a guy who was just like that. He would he would act very feminine to be around hot chicks. And I think Jesse just hung around with all these popular kids. So he wasn't really popular. I guess he was popular by association, you know. And, of course, you got Grady who, I guess, they're enemies at first and they become friends, which is strange. I guess that's why he, he gets bumped off because... They're not really friends, but they are friends. You get a cameo by Ferris Bueller's dad in that scene, which, you know, it's just kind of a takeaway because you want to see Grady's demise, but all they see is that, that the, the claws going through the door. And, you know, you got to assume that Grady bit the big one when he falls to his death. <laughs> but the, the whole idea of, uh, you know, I, I've heard folk for you. I mean, I think I heard you talk about this, X, about, you know, the fact that, you know, you have no control over your body, you know, in and, and, and this film especially. Much like the, I'm not comparing this to The Exorcist, but much like in The Exorcist and films like that, where some other presence is taking over slowly and until, you know, of course, the very end, where Jesse is Jesse no more. He's Freddy all the time, where he invades uh, white kids having fun. That, that, that scene that pisses everybody off, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because, you know, when Freddy's one on one, he's really scary and he's really good, but when you get him in front of 40 kids, and he's jumping around like a fucking marionette that's being held by a guy with muscle spasms. It just it doesn't work. He just it's just you can't tell me they couldn't have just rushed him. And then you needed that one white guy. He's like, wait, we don't want no trouble here. You know, you needed that one white guy to die. You know, let's 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 hug this out. <laughs> let's hug it out, Freddie. You'll be fine. And all you hear is fuck you. <laughs> Oh yeah, but this one it, 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 it it's it's probably the most different of any of the sequels, you know. Whereas you know, like we I mentioned part five, which that was taking kind of whole social commentary that didn't need to be tackled about, you know, 
abortion and women's rights and, you know, blah, 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 blah. Didn't, didn't need to go there, but, you know, well, whatever it did. This one is, I guess it, it captures that, you know, adolescence of who do I want to be or, you know, this thing taking me over, you know, like the, 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 your budding sexuality or your invasion of, 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 a, of a ghostly madman, whatever it may be. It's just, it, it's, it's thrown at you this film. In in a, in a good way, I guess. And Marshall Bell gets he gets uh whipped to death, very S and M style to death. That that's that's fun, you know. <laughs> yes. While all the balls fly. All at the balls, him. yes, balls fly at his mouth. So many so balls. Many balls. <laughs> Tennis balls and and basketballs and kickballs. So many balls. Uh the symbolism. No, it's, it's everywhere. It's I'm everywhere. Telling you. <laughs> This may as well be a Swedish Bergman film for all the symbolism. <laughs> uh, Willis, anything else you would like to say about Nightmare 2, man? Now it's time. Well, of course, a lot of people fussing about Freddy ain't supposed to do this and that that he did in part two. Well, F- Freddy wasn't really established because they didn't know what they had until part three. So it's all trial and error. It's just like any other movie franchise. If they don't get it right the first time and they try something new the second time, then they realize they fucked up the second time. So let's go back to what made the first one so great. And we went on today. Yeah, that's about sums it up, man. What about you, X? I think the thing that the thing that hurt the movie for me of essentially was the fact of the, the beginning scene on the school bus. <clears throat> where they drive off into the desert because first of all, those that miniature work looks like it was done inside of a dry flower yeah, it pot. It was bad. It was horrible. But also, and and I brought this up to my wife. I was like, "Why the fuck is he on a bus? He's got a car. He drives to school the rest of the time." But you know, and then she said, "It's a dream," and I'm like, "Okay, fine." So I spent a lot of time looking for logic in this movie, which tells you that I was kind of bored with it. So. Yeah, it's 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 okay. It's not my favorite Freddy by any stretch. I'm a big New Nightmare fan. Frankly. I am as well. Yes. So I'd rather you know the first one, the third one, and New Nightmare. We're good. That's the story. Yeah. Apparently, uh, David Chaskin, who deliberately wrote the screenplay to contain homoerotic subtexts, um, the director Jack Shelter had no idea. Apparently, but I guess uh, that's kind of hard to believe. But this is this is what what they what he said. You know, initially, I guess. And, uh, He's probably a, a little naive. And uh, <laughs> this is the one that's special in itself because it's it started the whole the whole thing with New Line, the, it, which called themselves the house that Freddie built. Because this one took that small indie film from 1984, and this one made twice as much money as that. You know, they they they, take, they had this thing of taking up and coming directors and a young cast and making a fuck ton of money off these people. And that proved that you wouldn't have got the Hobbit films. You wouldn't have got any of those films without these films doing as well as they did. Because New Line is indeed the house that Freddie built. And this is a key example of that where you can double your money on a picture like this. And now that's the business model. Lionsgate's been doing it. Blumhouse has been doing it. Ghost House does it. That's, that is the way to go in Hollywood now. Yeah. with the Even those, even those paranormal activity films, you know, they, they're... The, 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 none of them have been, you know, as successful as the last one. Fuck. But they all make money, you know. Those same stupid white kids go out to go see them. <laughs> they're, they're, they're losing the audience, which I, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping they go away before you know it, but that, that's that's just this man's opinion. You know, it's... 
I like to think I was more discriminating when I was 10 uh, than 10 year olds seem to be now with that paranormal activity shit. <laughs> a, lot, a lot of wires, man. A lot of wires. Um, but yeah, we'll do ratings now. Alex, we'll start with you, Willis. What's your rating? One to 10. I give it a seven. That's pretty good, man. What do you give it, X? I give it a five just for the exploding bird. <laughs> exploding bird. It's that cheap seed, man. <laughs> <laughs> Methadon clinic. Oh, man. Clue Gulliger is a delightful, happy old man now. That I, I got to say, 80-some years young. <laughs> and he's a perv, too. I got to meet him. That's kind of funny. Uh, but, yeah, me, myself, I, I give it I give it a Willis game. I give it a seven. F- 15 years ago, it would have been, been a four. But now I, I enjoy it for what it is now. So, you know, which is this quirky little sequel, little, you know, which isn't necessarily the best follow-up to the original film. But it, it it does something for me that you know it didn't do for me 15 years ago, so it's it's seven as well for on my end. And uh yeah, right after this, we'll get into uh an undercover Al Pacino, lots and lots of leather and lots and lots of man ass and cruising from 1980. Right after this.
would you like to disappear? Disappear? Go undercover. You know this man? Who's here? I'm here. You're here. These victims are all the same physical type. What about him, Skip? Late 20s, 140, 150 pounds. Dark hair, dark eyes. Have you ever seen him before? I want to send you out there to see if you can attract this guy. How, where? A New York City detective in search of a killer is about to disappear into the night. Is it dangerous? I can't talk about it. How do you know you're going to end up the same person when it's over? An odyssey to the edge of city life. Bartenders are starting to give me some information. There's this uh, name keeps popping up all the time. There he is. The one with the hat. Is that the one that followed you? Yeah. Why didn't you go with him? I don't know. I think you should check him. If you want to play, I'll play with you. He's the wrong guy. Prince don't match. What he sees... Who's here? What he feels. I don't think I can do the job, Captain. I don't think I can handle it. I'm here. There's just stuff going down. I don't think I can... Uh, I can deal with it. What he experiences. What he discovers will change his life forever. Al Pacino. Who's here? I'm here. You're here. Cruising. Cruising from 1980. Uh, plot synopsis is this. A police detective goes undercover in the underground S&M gay subculture of New York City to catch a serial killer who is preying on gay men. Uh, your, your core cast for this film is Al Pacino, who plays Steve Burns. Uh, Paul Sorvino, who plays... Cat, uh, see, they ain't wrong out here. Is, isn't the same Edelstein in like like Jewish in the, in the film? Because they make it a point to say it, I don't know. It's just Edelson on here. It's like... Yeah, because... Uh, no, it's Edelstein. Yeah. Well, it says Edelson on, on the damn uh, IMDb, so they must have got just confused as I did just then. Uh, Karen Allen as, uh, as Steve's lady friend, Nancy. Uh, Richard Cox as Stuart Richards. Don Scardino as Ted Bailey. And a, a bunch of other names. I'm going to get into all the, the crazy names that are in this film that I, I didn't expect to see. But uh, <laughs> we'll get right into this, though. Willis, it's the first time I see this movie as well. I'm sure you, you, you may not have seen it either. What are your initial thoughts on this film? All I was like, man, this is a rough-ass film. All this man-ass. I'm like, man, I don't want to see all that man-ass. But this was a horror movie more than anything else, if you look at it. It was one of our, our, our friend in the in the, in the groups here 
Philip O'Neill, the Swedish cinemasochist, just described it as a, a gay giallo. And I think he, he hit the nail on the head with that statement because that's what it reminded me of. A, it's very giallo, you know, but in that underground uh, gay world. Too. Yep, the kills and everything were just like something out of a horror movie. Mm-hmm. And they were gory, too, surprising enough. They didn't leave anything to the imagination at all when it came to the kills. I'm glad they left something to the imagination with the sex scene, so I'm happy about that. No, they didn't leave much to the imagination. <laughs> gre- gre- greasing up that arm and shit, man, you know, come on now. <laughs> well, at least they ain't going into gory detail about those things, so I'm glad about that. Uh... And, and, and the only other thing that only thing that pissed me off about the movie, why was a man looking at wrestling magazines? <laughs> I was gonna off? say that. I was gonna say that. <laughs> <laughs> I was so goddamn mad. And that Bruno San Martino is an attractive man. <laughs> <laughs> and Bob Backlund. <laughs> Nick Bockwinkle. <laughs> Oh boy, X. What are your thoughts on cruising, sir? I think it's 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 a really good movie. I enjoyed it. Um, there are parts of it that are kind of uncomfortable for a straight dude to watch, but you know, it's like who am I to fucking judge anybody for anything? I will go with Willis that the the kills are fucking crazy. The first kill, and dude ties him up and just boom. The camera does not move, and I think that's the best thing about this movie, is the camera does not move. It is unflinching. It doesn't matter what's going on. They're not going to... They very rarely cut away from it to make anybody feel better. So, yeah, I think it's I think it's an important film to watch, um, but it's not necessarily... You know, it's not the birdcage. Well, not many, films, not many films are, but, you know, it's a... I enjoy the birdcage too, but for very different reasons. You know? <laughs> yeah. Oh, but yeah, me. This this is a first time watch for me. We, we mentioned The Exorcist earlier. You know, it's made by the same guy, William Freakin's the director for this one. And uh, I, I never been to a leather bar or been around that. I've been around that 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 those kind of not those kind of people, not those not those kind not those kind of gays. You know, but I've been around gay folks before, but uh. I never had this uh, this crazy experience as they have in this film, but I'd imagine in 1980 they were still pretty like like you mentioned before. X, this is this is pre-AIDS, so they're very liberating. They're very you know very open to do anything because they even have that that <laughs> this blew my mind the, the cameos that are in this movie. Powers Booth explaining what the all the bandanas mean, and I was like, holy shit, this is Powers Booth. Give me a, a lesson in, in gay sexual relations, you know. And that's that was a mind blower for this film, you know. <laughs> um, but yeah, Al Pacino, you know, I, I I love the fact that they just pick him out of a, a group of officers to say, you know, you look like one of them. How about you go in there and try to find this dude who fucking kills gay men, you know? <laughs> like you know, Al Pacino, you got a pretty mouth. Go out there and go out there and work for me, you know. Ah, uh, this is the I I wrote these crazy notes and. For, forgive me if you're wrong, but this could either be the best, the best or worst episode of Twenty One Jump Street ever. <laughs> it's, it's, it's 
it's like the 21 Jump Street Extreme. Like, you know, they, they threw Tom Hansen in this motherfucker, which, you know, Johnny Depp, I guess, if he, if he was young enough, could play this part, this part in a remake, I guess. If they really want to throw him in the mix here, you know. He's a little pretty boy, too, I guess. Uh, I, I don't know, but it's um r- really strange. Here's another little side note for you. They, they, you just did the, did the Devils on your show, X for Kiss the Goat. I think if Paul Sorvino was played by Oliver Reed, it would have been way, way at the level on the film. Oh, I agree. Absolutely. Boyd, was his fake gray hair bad or what? It was what? bad. It looked like somebody just slapped him with an eraser. <laughs> <laughs> Banging erasers all day. I, I love the, the, the beginning of the film. You get to see Mike Starr and Joe Spinell as these crooked cops who apparently love trannies. Because Mike Starr tells the one to get down on his nightstick. <laughs> yeah, that was that was one of my notes. Joe Spinell and Mike Starr. Boy, wait till I tell Eddie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, those cops love them trannies, man. But I'm, I'm stealing all the good shit here, man. What's your what's your some of your key scenes here, Willis? Man, I was dying laughing when Al Bundy showed <laughs> up in the movie as a cop. And he was balding back then, and that was nineteen. What was nineteen eighty? So he always had a bald spot in the middle of his head, and he was looking young in that movie. I was like, man, what the hell? <laughs> Maybe he was bald coming out of the womb and he just never grew in. <laughs> Probably so. I would not be shocked. I would not be shocked. He had those 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 uh cow gas problems, you know, <laughs> from Tenacious D. <laughs> You remember that scene in the film right next to <laughs> Take off his hat as a, a 10-year-old to reveal his bald head. Oh, my God. That's, I was just watching a Tenacious D concert before we started recording, so that's fucking hilarious. What else? What else, what else you got for us, man? Man, Al Pacino is a bold dude to play in something like that. It was just a wild movie. It was a wild premise, but that shit happened to them back then all the time, so... It was very timely done. I like the way I like the fact that the movie shied away from nothing. So I was glad about that. You know, I didn't want to see all that man ass, but <laughs> and hot lover, but maybe I have a theory. Go for it, dude. Al Pacino becomes one of the village people at the end of the movie. <laughs> Cause he has the same outfit as the cop from the village people. <laughs> So he ends up in the next movie we're going to talk about in a little bit. Nice. Connections. I be goddamn. Oh, boy, X, what's your, uh, what's your, some of your finer points of cruising, sir? Here's my theory. This movie takes place in the same universe as the Warriors. Yeah. Yeah, go for it, man. Explain. Explain, dude. Well, so it's it's got that same kind of gritty feel to it. A lot of the shots take place at night. It's all just dark. And I mean, it's not it's not action packed like the Warriors was, but James Rebar is in it. Oh, I, I made a note much about James <laughs> Rebar in this film because I never seen him looking like that. And let, let me let me see something right now. I should have said at the very beginning of the episodes. If we offend any homosexuals, lesbians, gays, transgenders, transsexuals, not you bisexual fucks, you're greedy. That's all I'm saying. I apologize for before and for the stuff I'm going to say now. But James Remar is kind of a pretty homo with his long locks and green undies in this film, you know? <laughs> I don't expl- explain these things, but, you know, this, he, I never seen him look like so, like, like, like out of the Sears catalog in my life, you know? 
Well, he he was playing a dancer in this movie, so you kind of ex- oh, you kind of expect. He was an out of work. He was out of work dancer though. That's true. Um, also, I'm a huge Don Scardino fan, and I'm maybe the only person in the world who can say that. But I loved seeing him in this movie. If he was in Squirm, he was in He Knows You're Alone, and he directed the incredible Burt Wonderstone. I love that movie. I do too. So yeah, I'm a huge Scardino fan. It was really nice to see him in this. Um, we have to talk about the fisting scene. <laughs> yeah, explain to the folks, but I, I, I'm still picturing it in my head for some reason because that's something you can't wash out of your brain. Yeah, that is the once you have seen it, you cannot unsee it moment. Um, yeah, Pacino's just walking through a bar, you know. Hello. It was so explicit. It made ex fade. Tell you. And there is a there's a there's a leather guy. He's tied up. Um, you know, he's got his arms tied above his head. And the next thing you know is you just kind of see him kind of moving back and forth. And then we get a POV shot of the guy who's tied up of the guy who is just they're just fisting him in this bar. They're not in a private room. They're in the middle of the fucking bar and dudes just elbow deep. You don't see that a lot in mainstream films. You don't films. see that anywhere in mainstream films. <laughs> and it was just, just a shot of the guy yeah. greasing up his arm. Like, you know what he was going to do. But all of a sudden you see, you know, this guy on this basically on this rack, almost like he's crucified in gay Mecca, you know? <laughs> yeah. And of course, my first thought was, there's no way he got that whole fucking arm up there that fast. Bullshit. You got to. Yeah, take your time with that shit. Well, but he did, um, he, did, he did have a crew behind him, so maybe there was a gang bang that we didn't see did. in a deleted scene. Possibly that made, that, made that blossom just pop out. And fuck you, John Waters, for making me get all these fucking references. Like, what the fuck trade is? You know, what a blossom is? Okay, goddamn John Waters, you know? Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, true. We don't get to see the dude's pink sock. That's that's <laughs> that doesn't happen. But. Just the fact that you see that in this movie, and this was wide release, 1980, and I mean, this it's fucking groundbreaking. Oh, what's the places for sure? Yeah. So, yeah, I think for that reason alone, and think about you know, the time, too. The gay community was still kind of coming back into the forefront after the whole Stonewall thing back in... Keep going, fading out. Going away. So... I don't know. I understand where a lot of gay people were upset about this film, but I would think that that segment of the homosexual community, the, the, you know, the BDSM crowd the whole other daddy crowd, I think they would be like, fuck yeah, that's our movie. We do that. <laughs> if that's what you're into, man, I'm not, I'm not that guy, but you know, yeah. diff- different strokes, you know, for these, these fellas. You know? <laughs> it's, it, well, it's, it's the same. It's the same way. Like you and I would watch fanboys, you know, Oh, I get every single fucking reference in this movie, you know? So, and maybe I'm wrong about that, but that's just how I thought being, what the fuck do I know? A straight white guy. So, <laughs> Oh boy. There, there was that scene where, um, this, 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 this theory is thrown wildly out the window at the, by the end of this film. I don't want to give away the end of this film, but, our killer and our and our, uh, our 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 hero burns the the cop come face to face because they're cruising in the park for each other because after the the whole twenty minute montage of Burns stalking our killer, uh, they they I guess they meet face to face they're 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 gonna go bang in a tunnel but not really the the fact that they're wearing matching belt buckles it, it kind of like makes the stabbing less awkward you know 
But there's a whole scene where uh, Stewart, <laughs> our, our our killer, is um, he's having like a flashback scene with his father because apparently he 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 is obsessed with his father and he wrote his father all these letters even after he was dead, all these really elaborate you know letters about symbolism and blah 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 blah, which made me think that this killer was almost like a Norman Bates type character, but he really hated. I guess the gay thing that he became because he would, he would penetrate these men before he would kill them. So obviously he was kind of into it. So I think that maybe he was just disgusted by what he became and he became like this Norman Bates, gay killer person type person, you know, that's, that's one theory, you know, could come out of me. I gotta be honest. And it took me like three viewings to figure out that that was all taking place in his head. That conversation with his father. I was confused by that. And it took it just took a while for that to dawn on me. Like, oh, okay, well, he really he really is a bit of a nutball. Well, it took the, the 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 police cleaning out his apartment for you to realize his father was no longer with us because his right. roommate, played by a very he he had the hair of William Cat and Carrie in this movie, but William <laughs> William Russ, who, who my generation knows as Corey Matthews' father from Boy Meets World, plays plays in this movie, plays his roommate. You, you don't find out that till till later that his father was but is ten years ago he he passed away and, and this guy's just fucking nuts writing letters to himself so and uh yeah that that's 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 one of those wacky cameos in this film that, that I noticed you know oh man oh the the cop I don't know if this was a bar or was a it was a special party where all the people were dressed up like cops and officers and stuff it's precinct night it's, pre- <laughs> it's precinct <laughs> it's precinct night at the handlebar ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> But the, the, the scene kind of remind me of, you remember the, the Marilyn Manson video, The Dope Show, where, where all the cops started making out with each other for no good reason? Oh my god, I do now, yeah. Yeah, that's what that reminded me of, that that that, that club scene, you know. <laughs> but um, yeah, you guys have any other, any other points you want to talk about in this film? Maybe there's more we can talk about, but I don't want to take everything, take everything away from everybody, you know. Only other thing I got to say about this movie is that... If somebody was to remake this today, half the stuff that they did in this movie would not show the light of day right now. Oh, it's actually it be X-rated. It'd be definitely X-rated. Yeah. Well, James Franco made a film that's kind of a documentary style called Interior Leather Bar, where they act out the scenes that got cut from cruising. Oh, what was cut from cruising? I'm curious about this now. About well, according to William Friedkin, about forty minutes. Wow! Like what? Well, like anything that he? Did you remember anything that, that got cut from the film? Like in particular stuff, or why it got cut? Oh, I don't. I, I haven't seen it oh, yet. Okay. Uh, uh, I just know. I just know it exists. I'm gonna look for this because I'm curious about it now. I, I'm pretty sure it's on Netflix right okay, now. Okay, cool. Uh, anything else you want to say about it, X? I think there's a part. There's a point in the movie where. Um, from that point on, it always looks like Pacino was wearing lipstick, and that weirds me out. Well, it's like that whole conversation he was having with his his, his lady friend or whatever she is to him after having this whole experience that he, he's changing, which tells me, you know, by the end of this film, the scenes that you get at the very end of the film that I'm not going to give away, that something changes in his brain, like either he's going to be part of this culture, you know, in secret, be a, a closet leather bar daddy, or, you know... Mm-hmm become something else altogether but um maybe that's why you know he, he dresses himself more up as the film goes on yeah also not enough karen allen ass. Not enough, no none whatsoever yeah not not any and that's just not a lot fair. of that ass but no karen allen ass 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's there's no balance to the force. <clears throat> um, anything else, X? No, let's go ahead and write it. I got one more thing to say. Yeah, the, probably one of the best collections of mustaches I've seen in a film, you know. Because <laughs> you had all kinds. You had the handlebar, you had the short one, you had all, all kinds of mustaches in this film. And they showcased aviator sunglasses, which the only those are the only sunglasses that look good on me, or aviator sunglasses. You know, so are they mirrored? Oh, I, I don't have I don't have a pair, so I couldn't tell you. <laughs> I have had aviator sunglasses though, but uh that the How many cows do you figure died to uh provide the wardrobe for this? Oh movie? lots. Lots of cows dead. They call it the cow holocaust, the, the bovine holocaust. <laughs> <laughs> How many cows died to make all this leather? How much this leather is real? We don't need real leather on the background, homos. Put them in the back, you know. <laughs> oh, man. The extras get pleather. <laughs> the extras definitely do get pleather. Yes, they're not. They're not. They're, they're not featured gays. They're just ba- they're just background gays. Those are the green. Those are the green makeup gays that are in the, the, that are in the the, the George Romero films. You know, just just plaster them with some stucco and just throw them in the back. Put some oatmeal on their face. Yes, for fun. indeed. <laughs> <laughs> they might like that kind of thing. Come on, though. Put some that shit's good for your it's pores. Good for your pores, definitely. That oatmeal on your face. But uh, yeah, let's rate this bitch X. What do you rate it one to ten? I give this a solid eight. Beautiful, uh, Willis. I give it an eight point five. Nice. I, I really like this film, and I'm with I'm with uh I'm with you on the eight X. It's a great first time watch. Although I, 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 I'd say that, oh, you know, this is make, make folks uncomfortable. Certain certain points, half of this film make folks uncomfortable. But I think there's enough subtext in there and enough real stuff going on with, with the man ass and the gay shit to make it a complete film and not just like for one culture to watch, you know? Yeah, agreed. So I, I, it's an eight. It's, it's a watch. If you haven't seen Cruising and uh, we haven't convinced you to watch Cruising, go, uh, go watch it. But uh, with that... We're going to turn the fabulous level up to an 11, and we're going to turn, uh, turn your ears on to the smooth sounds of the village people in the majesty of Steve Gutenberg, and can't stop the music right after this break. Looking for something to fill that deep, horrible, dirty void inside? Then look no further than the podcast Under the Stairs. Join your host, Duncan McLeish, and guests as they dissect horror films old and new. No film is too gory. No film is too scary. No film is too violent for the podcast Under the Stairs. The podcast Under the Stairs can be found at podcastunderthestairs.wordpress.com or on iTunes. The podcast Under the Stairs is a proud member of the League of Extraordinary Podcasts. To avoid fainting, keep repeating to yourself, it's only a podcast. It's only a podcast. It's only a podcast. It's the musical extravaganza that launches the 80s. It's Alan Carr's Can't Stop the Music. You can't stop the music. Once you see it, you'll know why you can't stop the glamour. Do the shake, do the shake, do the shake.
can't stop the excitement. Welcome back, and this is the final film of the triumvirate that we've been watching on this episode. This movie is called Can't Stop the Music, but fuck, I wish we could. Um, from 1980, 4.5 rating on IMDb. That seems high, and their synopsis is very simply, this is a pseudo-autobiography of Disco's The Village People. So if that appeals to you in any way, shape, or form, then by all means, settle in for the two hours and three minutes that this movie is long. It is long, yes. Oh, my God. This, that's why they called it Can't Stop the Music, because it feels like it goes on for fucking ever. Um, directed by Nancy Walker. Nancy Walker was Rhoda's mom on the Rhoda sitcom. Uh, she was in Murder by Death. She played the maid in Macmillan and Wife back in the 70s, one of my favorite shows of all time. And I don't know how she got this gig. Anyway, your core cast is, um, <clears throat> of course, the village people. Alex Briley as Alex the G.I. David Hodo as David the construction worker. Glenn Hughes as Glenn the Leatherman. And talk about a mustache. If you shaved his mustache off, you could play horseshoes with it. It's that amazing. It is, it is majestic, for sure. <laughs> uh, Randy Jones as Randy the Cowboy. Felipe Rose as Felipe the Indian. Try to make that make sense in your it head. It doesn't. Because <laughs> you, you can't. 
and also Ray Simpson as Ray the police officer. Now, also, as we've mentioned, Steve Gutenberg as Jack Morrell, Valerie Perrine as Samantha Simpson, Bruce Jenner as Ron White, that's even funnier now, and um, Paul Sand as Steve Waits. There's a bunch of other people in this, too. Who gives exactly. a shit? They're probably... They're probably at home wishing that they could get this off of their resume. <laughs> um, I don't. I don't even know where to start with this movie. Any movie that starts with Steve Gutenberg roller skating through New York, apparently all five boroughs of New York, also, while this terrible song about New York plays, and I swear this song is like ten minutes long, and it's all about New York until they start really struggling for lyrics. It's like New York, it's a really great city. We have apartments and streets. You know, it's just it's it's god awful. It is painful to watch and it's painful to listen to. But the whole the whole story is how the village people got together because Steve Gutenberg is a DJ and a composer, but he can't sing. So he's living with Valerie Perrine, who is an ex supermodel and she has some money set back. And so she helps him form this group. And Bruce Jenner is a lawyer. So he's their entertainment lawyer and everything comes together just so easily. And so simply for them, <clears throat> that you know it's it's supposed to be i guess a, a fantasy it certainly is if it's not supposed to be and it's kind of like one of those hey kids let's get together and put on a show they even reference you know mickey rooney and judy garland in the script but it 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 hurts to experience this film this is the second worst movie i've ever seen in my life the first one being the remake of the fog so that's the kind of level I put that at. And there's so much to talk about in this movie, but a lot of it for me just kind of comes in flashbacks because I have PTSD after watching this. <laughs> so I'm sure that as we continue the discussion, um, I will probably just start yelling things and hiding under tables. So let's let's head over to Willis. What'd you think, Willis? All I got to say is one thing about this movie the YMCA. That was the most gayest thing I ever seen in my life. It was more gay than anything happening cruising. Even the sex and cruising was less gay than that scene at the YMCA with the village people. God damn. And Bruce Jenner must have recently watched this movie and it must have triggered some latent tendencies in him and that's what triggered him to start wanting to become a woman because he started watching this movie again and all I got to say is one thing Miss Tessmacher yes she is yes yes. (laughs) Miss Tessmacher yes indeed and you get to see her boobies yes yes you do and I I did enjoy the fact that at one point someone told Bruce Jenner that he dropped his box and I thought that was really funny uh, now so (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah i i had a note actually like for for and, and you know a very gay you know that's a very gay scene by willis because there's so many short charts and so many there, there's more muscle bound men in, in the, than the, the the video for physical by Livy newton john and yeah that's kind of hard to pull off you know 
but much like physical, there there are some. I I I'd have to say there's some catchy tunes in this, this film, you know. But for a predominantly you know gay you know stereotype film, especially with uh, scenes like that, there is a nice collection of tits in this film, and I, I, I will say that. So you guys, you got something for everybody? I don't know how to explain these things. Valerie Perrine is the youngest woman in this movie. Yeah, yeah. Everybody, everybody else is just straight up, you know, possible gilf, and that's it. Yeah, po- possible. Yeah. Uh, yeah. This this film for me was a, it's a first time watch, of course, because you know why? Why else would I watch this film? It's it's streaming on Netflix right now. If you guys want to give it a a look at a, the splendor of two hours of the village people doing stuff, I think that the village people were, were showcased. You know, in certain scenes of this film, if you, if you like the village people, you want to see you know them doing stuff like doing numbers. You know, your your construction worker doing a a, a number with so much glitter that it, it, it ruins these dancers. Which I made a note. <laughs> I made a note here again about the that scene where the our construction worker is doing his solo song. The, I love you to death. Oh yeah, the damn dancers in there look like something out of Satan's Alley from Staying Alive. The the the. <laughs> which if you haven't seen Staying Alive, you don't know what I'm talking about. But there's uh that's the big musical that Tony gets at the end of that movie. You know, and speaking of which, you know the Goots. You you mentioned him. I'm gonna call him the Goots skating through New York City. Made him kind of seem like Tony Manero on roller skates. Just you know skating throughout this city. No paint cans, but he has a purpose. He wants to go become the. He gets this all-important DJ job at the what do they call it? The, the, that bar, the the, the rusty sa- saddle traps. saddle traps. And this is gonna be his his opening to rags to riches success of just being this DJ. And he's really excited about it. And you know, and uh, <laughs> here's okay. I'm sorry. Flashback. Go ahead, sir. The village the village people in this movie are never out of costume. No. So every time you see Felipe, he is literally in an Indian outfit. He's got the headdress and a leather fucking pouch, and he never takes it off. Except when the headdress is being cleaned, and he just had like a feather on his head. He just has the one feather, and he can't make it fit right. (laughs) So, okay, you're talking about the music, and you haven't brought up the greatest song of all time. That means the milkshake song. That's my favorite song of the whole film. Do the shake. <laughs> Do the shake is literally a song about how to make a milkshake and how wonderful milkshakes and are. They are. It's like pour yourself some milk, put in some ice cream, and blend. And it's just on your coffee break. Go get a milkshake. You know, basically they're like, we want you to be really fucking fat because breakfast, lunch, and dinner. You know, if you're on your lunch break, a milkshake and go good with that sandwich. And it's just, it is the weirdest fucking thing and the weirdest song I've ever heard about. That sequence goes on for a good eight, nine minutes. Well, you know, there's a whole plot point of this film where, you know, the the the, the ladies, what's, what, I forget, Samantha, her, her mother, her agent, or whatever. Oh, her agent wants her to do the, yeah, wants her to do a milk to campaign. To push the milk campaign, and I guess this was their, their big get by putting the village people in these these white outfits there, because they, they're all white outfits in the, the milkshake song. Yeah, but for that for, for that song, or really all it is, is how to make, um, it, it feels like, yo, Gaba Gaba. Yeah, but Ray, so. I, I hate to say Ray the police, but it really takes it home in that song. He, he, he makes <laughs> something out of nothing. And as dumb as the song is, and as dumb as the premise, that motherfucker stayed in my head for at least a solid hour. 
Ray is a good singer. Yes. He was he 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 has a good voice. I like to hear him sing. I don't like him. I don't like to hear him sing recipes. I mean, much like you know, a jingle but, for like you know, fucking pop tarts or whatever that you constantly see on TV. I can see that playing on eighties television. You know, and that's uh, that jingle yeah. just staying in your head, you know, staying in your head, staying in your head. So that's what they were going for. And I'm sure they were, you know, the, let's let's get a song that's just, you know, it, it, the lyrics are really, really stupid. But you know what? It's it's catchy and it's going to stay in your head as dumb as it is. Also, I wanted to bring up one more point about the YMCA sequence, which is Willis's favorite, apparently. Chick of the whole place. One of, one of the best shots if you can call it best of that whole sequence is the slow motion shot of the dude on the pommel horse yes. who was <laughs> wearing white pants and basically the camera just follows his crotch. It's nothing but a giant package shot. It's like gay kata. <laughs> gay kata. I don't think it's the bigger of big offenses. I forget which Bon Jovi video it was. Where John Bon Jovi was wearing the purple spandex, and all you saw was man crotch, you know, they like overhead shot, you know. Oh my god! I think it, it might have yeah. been Runaway. I think it might have been like the very first video. But I think that's a bigger offense than the Pavel scene in this film. I don't know. I, th- I think instead of a milk campaign, they should have been doing a cucumber campaign. <laughs> Give me that roll of quarters. I'm going out tonight, baby. You know. <laughs> But yeah, the the wine, well, I guess that's your only real signature village people song. I think that not having Macho Man was a, mix, a missed opportunity. I was so pissed the fuck <laughs> off when that song was in there because that is my song. I've been loving that song since I was one years old. Mama said when they used to go to parties and used to take me when I was a baby, about one years old, one and a half. When that song came on, I would throw my bottle up in the air and start shaking my ass. <laughs> Picture that, guys, okay? A miniature Willis <laughs> coming to life when Macho Man comes on and starts shaking his ass. That's better than good times right there, man. Right there. <laughs> it was so bad off, my mom had to buy the, the 45 just to play it. And if she would stop playing it, I start crying and she had to play it a second time until I get tired of bouncing up and down. That's how much I enjoyed the song when I was a little baby. That's the problem. It's hard, it's hard not for me not to hate the village people because the songs, some of these songs, hell, except for the, the, the title, which is, a, again, a missed opportunity that the film is called Can't Stop the Music, when that is the worst song in the entire film. Yeah. And, you know, like I said, the Macho Man thing was a missed opportunity, when, especially when your YMCA scene, your, your, your gym scene, which is filmed in lovely Glendale, California, YMCA. So it was filmed in a real YMCA. You have Samantha running out with a Macho Woman T-shirt on as in the forefront of all these, you know, these muscle-bound, short, short-wearing, close-up, getting nubile young men, you know, <laughs> doing stuff in the YMCA. <laughs> Miss Elizabeth would be ashamed. Yes, she would. And don't forget, while they was in the YMCA, when they was in the shower, the guys was lavering each other up. Yes, they were. For soap. (laughs) Like, let me get your back. I can't reach. Okay. Yeah, plenty of man-ass in this movie, too. They just wasn't exposed. (laughs) I don't know. That that shower scene, there was was, was some cracking. Yes, it was. Yes, it was. (laughs) 
That's you got your extra four minutes at the the four minutes of man ass in this movie. See, <laughs> Could just keep it a solid two hours. We need to throw a little more. Yeah, we need to throw a little more masculinity in this film. You know, there's probably an uncut version, but it means something completely different with this. Yes, movie. indeed. Uh, Bruce Jenner, who's now famously a transgender now, is a <laughs> who's drove the deviant lifestyles by the Kardashians apparently. But now you see still, back then he was still, I'm sure, living off of the fact that he once was an Olympic champion and plays the tight-ass lawyer-slash-boyfriend in this film, which you know which you get a lot of these, these 80s films, this uptight boyfriend who apparently thinks Steve Gutenberg wants to fuck his girlfriend. Your friends are just two way out. Exactly, me. yeah. <laughs> and uh, you, know, you get that a lot of films, but in this film, if anything... She's Batman and he's Dick Grayson in this film because she's kind of like taking care of him this whole time. This this out of work bum who used to work at a record store, but now he's trying to make music because they're not really boyfriend and girlfriend. They're just kind of like he's dependent on her. He's like, like that bum that hangs around the house. This is kind of like reality bites for reality bites. He is the he is the <laughs> he is the Steve Zahn to her Janine Garofalo. Okay. God. <laughs> Oh, but yeah, the, the, so that was kind of weird. Like, he, he was just so upset by this. Uh, that I guess the, I, I guess I was slightly offended through this film that it took Jewish takeout to convince the record producer to to sign the village people to a contract. <laughs> <laughs> Look, we got matzo ball soup for you. Oh, crep lock. lock. Where's the crep Where's lock? Where's the crep lock? And that's that was a that was the 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 closer there. The the Jewish food. Because apparently if you're married to a Jew at some point in time, you were an expert on Jewish food, according to this film. Well, and of course, that character was a takeoff on Neil Bogart, who was the head of Casablanca Records, which was the huge disco label at yes, the time. It was. So, yeah, so Marrakesh Records, Casablanca Records. Oh, aren't we clever? We're so thinly veiled. Marrakesh Records. More racism in this fucking film. I think the thing we haven't talked about yet is the fact that all the sets on this film were probably made from cocaine. <laughs> like made for the money from cocaine or made on cocaine? No, made by made from actual cocaine. Because you can just see everybody in this movie tweaking out every frame. They are always super excited about everything. We're going to lunch! The oh, fucking lunch! Goddamn! Ah! You know, they're all just completely whacked out every single frame. No one ever frowns. You know, they're 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 in they're in Bruce Jenner's office holding auditions because for some reason he has a piano in his office. He's not even a junior partner, but the somebody comes in and starts doing fucking flame tricks and the sprinklers go off and they're all like yay that's around in the fucking sprinklers my office is ruined and I'm going to lose my job this is great what a beginning Rawr! that's coke that is cocaine oh man that's crazy <laughs> <It's> co- <laughs> this whole film was definitely made on something poppers or something you know whatever you had at the time I'm sure whatever the fuck was on set in 1980 which I'm sure was a whole bunch of drugs but I got a question. Do you know if this was the – I know that they've changed lineups over the years. Was this the original lineup for the Village People? Does anybody know? I don't remember Alex the GI being in the original lineup. Do you, Willis? I don't remember either, but mm-hmm. – I think there were originally only five Village People. I think Alex the GI was like a latecomer. 
Yeah, I believe that you're right. You're right. It was only five because I didn't even remember remember seeing the GI early on. Now, I know this because my mother had all the Village People albums when I was a kid. Every blessed one of them. So when they walked on screen, I was like, oh, shit, there's Hodo. Uh, I knew all of their names. I don't know what portion of my brain retained that memory, but I knew them all by name before they even said it's it. It's the milkshake song. It's infectious. It sticks to your head, man, you know. <laughs> yeah. So do Spyro Keys. Yes, they do. So these little parasitic organisms like the milkshake song, you know. We got a lot of interesting facts on IMDb about this film, so I'm going to read a couple of them. Uh, this film won, in, in quotations, the very first Razzie Award for Worst Picture. It was nominated in every category, even of the inaugural Golden Raspberry Awards, except for Worst Supporting Actor. Which, why would you do Because all the male actors are on point, except for your, your, your stuffy lawyer, you know. Ah, uh, another thing, and this is something I'd, I'd want to see, so maybe it's on, it's on YouTube somewhere, maybe. In promotion in the U.S. included something called Magic Night from 1980, a nationally syndicated one-hour TV special directed by Nancy Walker. It features Cher roller skating, Hugh Hefner in pajamas, and the village who performing Ready for the 80s, a song cut from the film. So that's something I'd probably enjoy watching. Like Much, much like the nostalgia of the Star Wars Christmas special, I might enjoy watching that too, you know? Ready for the 80s was released as a single, though, later, which is weird because they obviously weren't ready for the 80s. Um, it makes me laugh every time in the movie Gutenberg. Like, it's like, you're looking for the sound of the 80s? This is it. No, it's not. That would be Duran Duran or Motley Crue. You have screwed up on both sides. <laughs> yeah. Oh, boy. Oh, I mentioned the Glendale, California thing. Uh, this film, uh, I guess, had a $20 million budget. One of the most expensive, exp- expensive, expensive movie mu- musicals ever made upon release. So I don't know. I guess it was all on screen in, in the club scenes, and then the, 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 I guess when they actually got on stage to do something, and then the, the cut scenes. Not so much of the YMCA scene, but you know, and then the, the, the construction scene, and you know, the the the, the end scene, the the milkshakes uh, thing again. I always go back to the milkshake song. That's that was pretty elaborate, you know. It was three million bucks just for glitter, and somebody somebody had to pay for that all the balloons, man. That's all I'm saying. And the, that that song and dance routine took two weeks of rehearsal, five days to film, and fifty seven different camera positions just for the milkshake song. True, that's 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 a lot, man. <laughs> I don't know if I can go on and on, but there, there's a lot of facts that I need to be about. I guess you guys read them all. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna read them all myself, but um, I, I have a couple more notes actually. Uh, I think some of that budget well, I was paid for by Dr. Pepper because in the first half an hour of this film, at, at least, you see Dr. Pepper featured about four times. And Baskin-Robbins. And Baskin-Robbins, indeed, yes. Because she makes it a point to say, I'm going to go to Baskin-Robbins or some shit. She comes out with a fucking ice cream cone, which is where she conveniently assembles the village people one by one because Felipe knows all these people, apparently, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Felipe himself was at least twenty-eight flavors. So I, I love how Felipe just just it just breaks does the B and E in her house whenever he wants to. He just climbs in through the window. Hi, my TV's broken. I thought I would just watch yours. What? Starting rain. Get out. Starting offensive rain dances in this white woman's apartment building. You know. Get out, Latino who thinks he's a Native American. Ruining her carpet because that was the scene in this film. Him holding a sponge and saying that he did, her carpet got wet, you know. Oh, and Valerie Perrine on the floor trying to 
trying to use a hairdryer and saying, come on, fibers, stand up. <laughs> Who the fuck wrote that? Uh. Oh, and I love the, 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 what's the name of that club again? The, the, the Saddle Tramps. Yeah, I love the, the owner of Saddle Tramps' outfit. Because he looks like my, my Noni's couch, what that looked like, but with glitter and shit on it, that jacket he was wearing. <laughs> and he was rocking that shit too. That this this fat fuck that owned this fucking disco, you know. Uh that's that's pretty much all my notes because I was just so enthralled by the milkshake song. I guess I didn't take many more notes, but uh, <laughs> Willis, anything else you want to say about you can't stop the music? Oh no, it's my only disappointment that they didn't play Macho Man. Yeah, that that was a missed opportunity. I, I said it before. Uh, X. You know, I, I don't hate the village people. I always think, wow, there were a lot better songs on the, you know, on the albums than the singles. So people should go back and listen to the catalog. But I, I hate this movie so much. It just, I, I feel like, like Madeline Kahn and Clue just flames, flames on the side of my face. Just pure hate for this film. Um, I, I don't hate this film. I, it's it's one of those things where it's been a first time watch for me. I can't say it's the best thing I've ever seen, but I've seen a lot worse. I can't say it's the second worst film I've ever seen in my life, like X did. I, I I've taken in Spice World before. Okay, that's all I'm saying. And this film is better than Spice World. So you know, um, yeah. With that, uh, I I I, I could say I enjoyed myself half the time in this film. Like I said, the the, the village school music is is infectious. If you can't say that you have been sitting in your car one day and the Village People song come on the radio and you don't need to know at least one or two lines from Macho Man or YMCA, you're lying to my fucking face because you, you, it's it's true, okay? You just leave it on for like 30 seconds. You may change the channel after 30 seconds, but you're going to listen for that 30 seconds and just move on after that. Either that or, or let, the, or let the, the, the good times roll with that Village People infectious music, so... Whether you're a closet village people fan, or or you or you, you like one song or whatever, I, I'd like to hear from you. Just 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 let me know, you know. And uh, yeah, with, with with that, I guess we'll go into our ratings. Uh, Willis, what's your score for this film? I do have Macho Man and YMCA on my iPod, and I rock that drink regularly when I want to wake up when I'm at work. So to watch this movie, it's funny as shit. It's dumb as hell. But it was enjoyable. I can only give it a five. Okay, fair enough. Uh, X, do I need to ask? What, what do you get this film, man? I know you loved it so much. This film is like the two-headed pig in a freak show at a circus. I will give it a point five just for do the show. Oh, <laughs> that hurts my feelings, man. Especially with the score I'm going to give it. <laughs> uh, for Oh, my God. I'm probably going to take some shit over this. This this gets one point less than cruising to me because I had a good time. It, it loses it loses three points for for Bruce Jenner and some of the stupid supporting characters, but all the stuff with the village people and the campiness of it. But it should have been made three years before. It gets a seven for me, and I I just I just enjoyed it, and I I think I'll, I'll watch it again eventually. You know, uh yeah, that's it gets a seven for me. You know, call me crazy, but I, I enjoyed I enjoyed myself. Goddamn milkshake song. You're crazy. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, with that, we'll come back and we'll uh, close out the show.
This is Jamie from Devour the Podcast. Do you enjoy horror commentary with straightforward honesty? Oh my god, fuck this movie. Fuck this movie so hard. Oh my goodness, you know, I, halfway through this movie I was just like, let's get, get this thing going. Fuck this movie. <laughs> Humor and an obvious passion for the genre. I like the cut of your jib. The ceiling, Grandma. Don't make me get out the broom. Oh, your tears are like wine. They used to call that the vapors. Cupcakes are kind of the shins. List of desserts. It's it's a, a pure good. I love the idea of up and coming horror directors taking on the found footage genre. I really really like that idea. And that's really the worst thing you can commit as far as filmmaking is concerned is making a film that's just average. Well, that doesn't really inspire any kind of exactly. discussion, whether it's you know to rip it apart or, or praise it. Then you should spend time with David and me and Bo as we discuss horror films from old classics, Deep Red, Empire of the Ants, Lisa and the Devil. The Baby, The Toxic Avenger, The New Favorites, Absentia, Cabin in the Woods, The Loved Ones, Shadow of Death, VHS, The Woman. Check us out on iTunes or at devourthepodcast.blogspot.com. Devour the Podcast is a proud member of the Horrorphilia Podcasting Network. My name is X. And I'm Cootie. Please consider us your high priest and priestess of satanic cinema. Join us on our podcast, Kiss the Goat, which will drag your soul through some of the finest and worst devil movies of the last 50 years. Devils and demons, exorcisms and possessions, cults and rituals, dogs and cats living together. Is that a devil movie? Maybe. Sort of. I don't know, babe. We'll talk about it later. Join us on the Horrorphilia Podcast Network every other week as we don our hoods and cloaks and kiss, kiss the, the goat. It's a hell of a good time. I knew you were going to say that. Of course you did. It's in the script. <gasps> My films! Oh, gimme, gimme, gimme! Ah, cinema. Porkies? Meatballs too? Enjoy your crap fest. <laughs> Oh, go read the bell jar, you poser! Klaus, prepare to feast your eyes on the majestic grandeur of the silver screen. It all began in this little shop. Ow! Damn roses! Where, strange as it seems, something extraordinary happened. I'm afraid it isn't feeling very well today. No, it's not this door. What kind of a little plant is that, Seymour? Little Shop of Horrors, a story about a boy. I've given you sunlight. I've given you rain. Looks like you're not happy. Unless I open a vein. Where did you get such a weird plant? A girl. Nice voice when you live on Skitty Row, Mr. Mushnick. See, this is my date, my boyfriend. A florist. I'm telling you, Audrey, he's not a good, clean kind of boy. He's a professional. You'll be a dentist. You have a talent for causing things. Hey, stop me a dentist. People will pay you to be in I've been saving all month for this. I think I need a root canal. I'm sure I need a long, slow root canal. 
me see more. And a plant. Feed me all night long. How am I supposed to keep on feeding you? Whoa! That's me now. I'm just a mean green mother from out of space and I'm Rick Moranis. Man's a total disgrace to the dental profession. Ellen Green. Excuse me. Excuse me what? That's better. Vincent Gardinia, with special guest appearances by Steve Martin, John Candy, and Bill Murray. It's the professionalism that I respect. Little Shop of Horrors. Hi there. Is this your first trip to the dentist? You a little scared? No? Good. Give me five. Right, Dr. Alan Finestone's a renowned dentist who's got it all. The anniversary. A beautiful wife, a thriving practice, and an impeccable reputation. I know I'm early. Couldn't wait, huh? No more braces, thank God. Built up quite a practice, doctor. Kay is always busy, so we're always busy. But behind the success is a man who's feeling the pressure. The IRS? You got real tax problems. When I tell you to do something, you do it. Oh, as short staffed as it is. Do you dress like that in front of the pool, man? Would you like to make another appointment? I had an appointment. You're not wearing anything. Now, Dr. Finestone's gone over the edge. <laughs> this is my wife! Please, please. Things are under control. Everything is under control. What we've got here is a seriously derailed train. The man over the edge. Open wide. Dentist. There now. Better? speak to you. I don't know anything. I'd like to use you as possible bait. It's not safe. Is it safe? Is it safe? No, it's not safe. It's very dangerous. Wealthiest and most wanted Nazi left alive. I'm positive your brother meant to rob me when I leave the bank with my diamonds. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know anything. Well, can I trust you? You never could. You're uncontrollable. 
What you offer us is valuable, but it's not worth the chaos you're causing. Where is he? No! gets too large between what the FBI can handle effectively and what the CIA doesn't want to deal with. That's where we come in. What do you do exactly? We provide. Provide what? Anything. Were you Sal's mistress? I never even met him. Marathon Man. All right, as the Flintstones say, we had a gay old time. You know, I, I, I had I had fun with this episode. It was it was great conversation, guys. And I want to thank uh, our special guest Willis for coming on, man. Yep. Uh, once you said the Willis people, I was like, uh oh, I might have to bogart my ass on this one somehow. And all I got to say is. Macho, macho man, I want to be a macho man. <laughs> Willis is shaking his booty right now, man. Can't see it, but he's shaking his booty right now. Uh, X, uh, did you enjoy your experience on this episode, man? Of, of course I did. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, like I said, they all fit together kind of tangentially. And even though there were points during Can't Stop the Music where I literally found myself with my fingernails in my face trying to rip my own skin off, you know, it didn't kill me. So <laughs> I guess I'm okay. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, this episode's been awesome. It was always good to have Willis on, too. Hey, great. Uh, yeah, Willis, we could, uh, we could push this on to you. Push whatever you got going on, my friend, in the world of podcasting. Of course, the world-famous Terror Troop podcast. The no-fucking-weight commentaries we do in Alien series. So we're up to Aliens. And for those who's going to listen to the rest of them, Alien Resurrection is our musical episode. Great. Wow. <laughs> oh, that's great. Uh, yeah, excellent. You just want to push my friend? Go ahead, man. Let's see. You can always find me here now, which is awesome. You can find me on Kiss the Goat um, with my wife, Cootie. We just released our episode about Ken Russell's The Devils, um, which is a lot of fun because we are completely and absolutely divided by that film. So give that one a listen. Find me on Not So Evil Episodes, um, the Six and a Half Feet Under podcast, which will have a new episode out this month. I'll be interviewing director James Cullen Bresick this month, so that'll be a good show. Um, shit, writing on Pop Shifter, books on Amazon. Follow me at Twitter, Jeffrey X Martin, and there you go. Uh, yeah, you can find me on Twitter at GW. Uh, come, please join the Facebook group. Uh, interpret any feedback you have. Speaking of feedback, we're waiting to hear from you guys on iTunes. You could rate this show. You could rate The Bird, The Beard. You could rate two Drink Venom commentaries. You could, re- you could rate... Uh, b- 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 sloppy seconds the horror movie sequel podcast on there 
You can have up to four chances to win some free swag for me. If you rate and review it, uh, I will put some of your all, – all four of your entries or all two of your entries or every time you enter in a hat, I'll put your name in a hat and I'll draw your name out of a hat. If you're one of the lucky ones, you get to win a few, uh, your, your choice, I guess, of who name I pick first of a few autographs. And a couple of Blu-rays. This this uh this prize list is growing, so you guys should really get on this, and I will ship internationally to you people. But uh, I, I didn't mention this before, but uh, next up on the the episode, if you hear the, the the three things they have in common, you guys should pretty much pick this up. Is I'm gonna throw this thing out there right now. Is uh we're picking our our bad dentistry episode, as as we call it. Yes. Where we're gonna review uh, uh Dustin Hoffman and Lawrence Olivier in the Marathon Man. We're going to review the the awesome Corbin Burnson and the dentist and Rick Moranis in a, a cast of awesome people in Little Shop of Horrors uh, coming your way next episode. So I hope you guys enjoy that, man. Brace yourselves. Brace, brace yourselves. <laughs> Big pun intended. But uh, with that, I'll leave you guys all this. And always at the Cinema Beef Podcast, if you got beef, we've got the grinder. See ya. Feed me, Seymour. Feed me all night long. <laughs> <laughs>